The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Give you in the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. By the end of the week, I was good. Yeah, well, that's just it. You have time to figure it out, right? I guess. Yeah. With this with this op gig, I didn't have I didn't have time to figure it out. Um, I'd had I'd had two days of regular on air opping to kind of get my bearings, but then the then the Oilers game started, the hockey game started, and and it was just it was going back and forth with the hosts, it was going back and forth with commercials, and then answering the telephone, and then cutting up highlights, and, and it was one guy to do everything. Like when you hear all that stuff, listen to an Oilers game and. Everything that you hear going on, except for the hosts, is one guy doing all of that. That's how amazing those What do you need to are. answer phones for? Because people call the station all the time, trying to talk hockey in the middle of the game, criticizing some call or criticizing some announcer or whatever. That, that sounds like a full-time job right there to answer those calls. I know, right? It's worse during the call-in shows, um, but even during the game, yeah, there's they're they're doing a lot. I got tons of respect for those three or four cats that they hire to to opt to those that. games. Yeah, and the weird thing about the um, radio landscape is they call that the producer, the guy who does all that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So so radio uses. What is Mary trying to show you? She's what? trying to show me. Oh, you want the oh. Wi-Fi? Yeah. All right. Type it in. Do you know it? Uh, I do. You keep talking. All right. I forget where I was going. Oh, yeah. So, so radio uses the producer tag way too generously. Like the guys that work in the, um, in the uh, production department, they're all... They should be called engineers, but they're all called producers. The uh, the person that ops the radio shows, they call them producers, because they're also they're also the ones responsible usually for um, setting up setting up interviews, subjects, and that kind of stuff. So there is some producer elements there. Um, and then, of course, there's the show producer that may actually not do anything other than, uh, hey, I lined up an interview for you. Here you go. They're going to call at 623 hmm. in the PM. Yeah, that, that's a weird one in film that I don't understand what exactly the producer, the producer does. does. Well, the producer in film, he's the guy that... Well, sorry. I mean, live television producers, like those oh, guys... Okay. Those cats, I, I I don't quite understand what they're supposed to do. 
film producers, though, uh, the few I've worked with, those guys are pretty hardworking dudes. And they have a pretty defined role of making all the shit happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the last one I was on, like, he wasn't even on the filming set ever. He was just kind of doing the the in-between to make sure everybody mm-hmm. was ready for when the filming crew needed to do the next scene. They're already there. Yeah. Scheduling, and, logistics, yeah. negotiation, was, money management. It was interesting watching him run around. Yeah. When I got to see him, you know, being part of the <laughs> film set yeah, or the I, filming crew, which, holy crap, that's a tough job too. Being a film crew? Being part of the film crew. I guess. Well, you get like no breaks when you're on like a tight schedule type of thing because you, you just can't. Anytime there's filming going on, you're there. I guess even depends. when I guess the director's your, directing, like you have to be is. there. You, you talk like what role on the film set are you talking about? Because there's tons of roles. Oh, I know. And there's lots of people that have that have nothing to do while things are actually being shot. Yeah, but I'm talking about the the crew that are directly involved with the shooting, like the the clap track guy, the sound guy, the camera guy, the director. Are you talking about are you talking about a live event? No. You're just talking like film, like film set. Yeah. I've yeah. never done a live yeah, there's, video. There's there's plenty of people that have downtime. Oh, I know there's plenty. I'm saying specifically I, and and I and I'm asking you specifically what are those roles because I can't think of a single role that would have no break, no downtime whatsoever. Every set I've been on, it's been like the direct film crew, like the guys who run the gear. So you're talking... your camera guys, your sound guys. Okay. uh, Everybody who's involved with like the filming of the thing, like the actors and stuff, they all have like tons of downtime and stuff. Okay. The guys who are behind the camera, like on every set I've been on, those guys don't have any downtime. So specifically the camera guys. Not just camera guys, everybody behind the camera. Okay, so like the, so your your sound guys, your sound guy, your camera guy, camera guys, your, your director, director, like the guys who have to be there to right to film everything. Okay, those yeah, yeah. Every set I've been on, like that's I've been a part of that those crews, and it's exhausting and pisses you off when everybody has eaten all the the food before you even had your lunch. That's fair. <laughs> I've I've only been a part of a couple, and they bah, were certainly. Ah, well, I, I'm just thinking of like a time where I remember the the catering group. We were told what they were going to bring us for lunch, and then when it came time for us to have lunch, it was just like it's all gone. It's just like, are you fucking kidding? Are we supposed to eat now? <laughs> yeah. Were you? Uh, what was your role on the set? Uh, the first time I was on set, I was the guy who did the clap tracks. Oh yeah. Um, and that's actually a pretty involved job. I didn't think it was like, I thought it was just clicking the clapper thing, whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually more involved. Like you have to keep track of, uh, what scene, what take it is and stuff like that. I only screwed up once. <laughs> which nice. apparently is impressive um, yeah. and then the second time I was on set I was a, a boom operator okay cool which that can suck 
Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't, I don't think I would appreciate holding a boom up that long. I don't know. You kind of find places where you can hold it, but like have your arms somewhat rested, like half rested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess you'd you'd figure it out. Just like everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so today, um, I didn't want to talk about film, no, or radio. Well, I, I don't know much about either of um, any of those but things. I do want to talk about. I've had some really interesting mixing experience experiences over the last week, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about some of the problems that came up. Okay. So, um, where do you want to start with? I got I got two general directions: um, mixing in mono. Or mixing a 16-song record. And I know we talked about the 16-song record last week, but... We can do the mono one. You start with the mono one? Yeah, I'm kind of interested to hear where this goes. <laughs> okay, cool. Because a lot of people claim that the mixing in mono is the way to go. So I um, I started... I finished up the 16-song record um, Saturday night, I think-ish. Yeah. Um, so Sunday which is just a couple days ago, I started mixing a four-song EP, modern hard rock, um, kind of generic. Uh, and they're older guys, so they have a little bit of little bit of grunge throwback. Okay. A little bit. Um, all pretty decent players. The uh, The bass player is solid. Not, not fancy, but he's solid. The drummer is really good, really creative. Yeah. Uh, and he knows it. <laughs> And the guitar player isn't as good as he thinks, but is still actually rhythmically pretty sound. Okay. Um, and then the singer, the singer is an amazing frontman. Need a little help just to, you know, make him sound full and on pitch. Okay. But great energy, great performances. So we're starting off with something pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, and... I tracked, I tracked the session in June. Um, yeah, we tracked early June um, and then did vocal overdubs over the following weeks. Anyway, so, so I, was, I was in control of, of the recording as well. So we're starting off with something that, that already sounds decent. Right. I did all four songs in the same session because um, we, we did all the drums in... How did we finish them off? We did all the drums in less than a day and a half, like three songs in one day and fourth and following day and then a whole bunch of overdubs. But, uh, or so, so everything is nice and consistent. Right. And all the songs are pretty, I, they're not monotone. They're not, they don't sound the same, but they're all kind of the same, you know, excited energy. Right. So easy to get a, basic mix going and apply it to all the songs yep. and then kind of like we've we've talked about in the past breaking the those four songs uh, those four sessions into individual sessions to make it easier to customize yeah okay so that's where we're starting so i've been i've been really key on on finding um since i got a subscription to spotify believe it or not and i don't know why that's the thing but since I got the subscription to Spotify, I've been really 
keen on on um, on loading up a reference track, putting it on a loop on Spotify, and just running it into the console. So I'm going back and forth, right? Yeah. Something brand new that I started doing last week was throwing the reference track in mono, which I've never done before. Okay. So that I'm comparing my mix in mono to the reference track in mono. And it's been really exposing some things that I didn't expect to hear. I've, I've kind of always known that when I really pay attention to quote unquote pro mixes, yeah. um, commercially released stuff that especially in the, in the hard rock genre, which is where I've been so focused the last couple months, um, guitars or the, the overall mix of the instruments behind the voice tends to be a little on the less high end kind of thing. Okay. Right. It's almost like, it's almost like there's a, there's an EQ curve that, that keeps the low end big and thick. And then like a high shelf that cuts off everything above. And I'm, and I'm, I'm being, I'm really generalizing, right. But cuts off everything above like 400 Hertz down by a few decibels so that the vocals can sit on top in that space, right? Like that's, that's visually how my mind sees it. That's not actually what's happening. And I know, but, but that's visually how my mind sees it. And so I, I, and, and of course, whenever I do my mix, that doesn't sound right to me when I do that. I always feel like I'm sacrificing too much of the guitar tone or, or, uh, or I'm, or I'm, making the kick and the snare. I know this is boring until we get into the response part. (laughs) Um, I always feel like that kind of kills all the energy of the band for the sake of the vocal. Right. Right. And as often as not, I've, I get comments back. Oh, the guitar player doesn't like his tone or the, the drummer wants more crack to his snare or, or, uh, or the, or he wants, or the drummer wants more, more, clickety clack in his kick drum or he wants the cymbals brighter and uh, everything's a, everything's a compromise, right? Yep. So knowing all that is a big setup where I'm going nowhere yet. I'm listening in mono to three different mixes that I've always really been a fan of the songs. Yeah knowing that they and 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 knowing that they match the the project I'm doing now I throw them in mono and weird things happen to them because they're like spaced so widely and so there's phase canceling or I will see the, and 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 this is this is part that I don't know um it would probably be helpful if I was playing them for you you you'd hear it and you'd instantly know what I'm talking about right so in one of the songs, the guitars are a little dark to begin with. Yeah. In mono, and, and of course the guitars, not at all playing the same thing. Like this is, this is a band that doesn't ever double track their guitars, but they, two individual guitar parts panned hard left and right. Right. Plus whatever other guitar stuff got going on. 
Okay. Thrown in the middle. And so there shouldn't be any phase cancellation, mm. theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. Right? But, but certainly there could be. Yeah. So I throw it in mono, and in two of the songs of theirs that I was, and I, I wanted to double check on another song, two of the songs, the symbols, the crashes and Chinas and that kind of thing, sounded far farther away. The okay. hi-hats stood out fine. Okay. The bass got less distinct, but still really present. Okay. The kick and the snare drum became a little more mid-rangey. And the guitars kind of, at least the rhythm guitars, kind of just became indistinguishable in the mix and often couldn't even tell them apart from the bass guitar. I couldn't specifically tell that they were there. Okay. Um, notable that the bass is slightly distorted, as a lot of rock stuff is. Yeah. It was just really, I mean, the, and, and the vocal, predictably, the vocal be, sounded more dry and sounded like it sat above the mix a lot more. That makes sense to me. Like the dry part? And yeah, the fact yeah. That it's the, more above. Like that does does make sense to me because okay. if you play with your stereo field, and like reverb tends to be less effective in mono, yeah, than it is in stereo, right? Uh, yeah, I, 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 and I, cymbals going down like that. That to me sounds like either whatever spacing they had for overheads. Um phased out and it was causing a dip in volume when you put it to mono that could be and that they also like probably had a mic on the hi-hat mixed in somewhere which I mean that's pretty common pretty practice common, yeah. so that or they used a spatial oh, manipulator a spatial widener to yeah to widen the, the symbols that's fair I've done that but I'm usually pretty sparing so that to avoid those issues where it goes to mono and then all of a sudden yeah. doesn't exist because I've made it too wide in stereo. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I don't even bother with that spatial stuff. I um, typically don't either. Uh, it's like maybe a handful of times I'll use it. Hmm. It's really only when I know for sure that the client wants things to be wider and just yeah. to do it quickly. You know, maybe I put it on the the master bus and just widen by like 10% at most. 10% would be like a lot in my books. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, yeah, I, I try to not use spatial wideners. Yeah, because they, they they can cause a lot of problems. I, I, also, I also tend to, like if, if I want the symbols to be really wide, I try to mic them really wide. Right, but if you're working with someone else's recording, then and, and then yeah, you know you have to find ways to do that. Yeah. Um, Although typically, if you yeah, if if the artist want the artist or whoever is making the decisions wants like the symbols to sound distinguishable from left and right, like you should be making it in such a way that left side symbols 
are mostly heard on the left side, right? Is yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. whatever. Like, there's a lot of newcomers that don't understand that, though. Well, and one of the things that one of the things that um, that I was considering, and it's something I've always been apparently more concerned about than I needed to be. Right, is pen law. Right, and and as I'm listening to these mixes, it's super obvious to me that either these guys did the radio thing and mixed the vocal just really loud and up front, right, or they weren't very concerned with pan law, and so the mix coming out in stereo was the mix that they yeah because you, know, you you hear a lot of guys talk now about how they don't even bother checking in mono, right. Yeah, a lot of like uh, a lot of big names. I rarely do. See, and I and I mainly I almost always feel better when I mix in mono. Fair. Uh, I think you should check in mono if you think that the music that you are working on is going to be played on a mono device, which is like a phone. Like on the speaker of a phone or something like that. Speaker like, of a phone or a radio that's off in the distance or even a stereo that's more than more than eight feet away. Sure. The stereo that's like a proper stereo, like even if it's eight feet away, it, the phase issues that occur from that shouldn't be so much that I guess I I don't mean like a like a hi fi stereo system. I mean like you know, like someone's got a bookshelf stereo where the speakers are literally like a foot apart. Yeah. Right. Or maybe there are three the feet apart. The phase issue still shouldn't be as um, exaggerated as going straight to mono though. True. True. Even in that case. Because um, like uh, my iPad, I know that has stereo speakers. Yeah. yeah but it, you'll never hear them, right? No. Unless, I, I will never be able to distinguish left from right. Because I think the speakers are like less than an inch away from each other, but I know it has them. Did you know that that um, um, your iOS software has a mono switch in it? I'm pretty sure I've seen that feature, but I never bothered to deal with it because I don't That's care fair. enough. Yeah. So, so the problem the problem that I'm that I'm th- that I'm now considering. And, and and by by the time I was done this, I was super happy with my mix. I checked it in the car; it sounded great. I checked it at home on the stereo; it sounded great. I checked it on my phone; it sounded great. I was really happy with it overall. Right. And then you checked it in mono, and that's when the problems arrived. Not at all, because I spent the entire time in mono, and I checked it in stereo. And then that's when the problems arrived. So, <clears throat> no the, the the problems the the problems were never like. This was one of the easiest mixes I've I've done. It it came together really nicely. Everything everything balanced really well. The problems were in comparison to the reference track, my mix was quite a bit brighter. Okay. My guitar tone was quite a bit brighter. My vocals still still sat out front. Yeah. But not to the same extreme that that all these reference tracks did. And my my guitar tone and the drum tone all significantly brighter. Huh. Plus, this is this is irrelevant of, of mono because this is a low-end thing. I noticed that all of these reference tracks, and this is something I, I I fought with last week, 
doing that 16 track record. Um, All of the reference tracks that I was listening to have this huge bump at about 60 Hertz. So you think that might be another thing of your room? Um, well, well, no, but that's, that's the thing is I'm listening to it in the room and I can hear it in theirs. Okay. So I think it's, I, I think it's just a, just a, um, a mix thing, right? Like okay. I'm not mixing with that bump. Okay. 60 Hertz. That, that would bring a lot of kick drum. A lot of kick and a lot of bass. Uh, if the bass is down the there, bass, sure. All of, all of, all of these tracks had the bass down there. Okay. Yeah. Seems excessively low for a bass, but yeah. But these are all these are all like modern hard rock tracks, and so they're that's kind of their thing, right? Like excessively low everything, hmm. um, and then pocketing <sighs> things together. I guess, yeah. Like like these two two of the bands, their bass guitar seem to live in the sub one hundred range have not a lot going on in the 100 to 250 range but that's the and good j- part. Just, just a little well but then but then a lot of nice detail in the like 200 to 500 range right okay. so it's, i know but the guitars the guitars seem to their low end seems to exist in that 175 200 range yeah right that that seems to be where the where the pockets are Okay. At least that's what it sounds like. But that Fair. 60 that 60 hertz bump is definitely there that's not in my mixes. So here's here's my first question of the day for you. Mm-hmm. I tried adding it in and I can add it in just on just on the two bus. Yeah. And I don't mind it. Okay. I'm I'm actually quite happy with how it then translates to the reference. But all of these references have been mastered, and I these guys are going to go to to Jamie at Out of Town Sound right. for their mastering, okay. and I know that he's he's very capable of of doing that yeah. himself if he chooses to. Um, so my question is, if I didn't, my question is, do I add it in? So the so the mastering guy, whoever the mastering guy would be, do I add that sixty hertz into my mixes? Do I give it that Is that push? That what the bands like? Did you the, show the, the band this? Haven't shown hertz? the band. They're um, they're in Grand Prairie, so it's they're not around to to approve the mixes. Well, they are around to approve the mixes, but. Uh, 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 yeah. so I'm just wondering what is the approved mix. The yeah, well, they they haven't they haven't listened to or approved any mixes yet. Okay. So I'm 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 here making that decision. Okay. Does it sound better with the 60 hertz? I'm boost? not convinced that it, that I like it as much. But but that's that's the that's the issue right there is my likes I'm not sure should matter as much as the target because the target is absolutely the radio rock thing. And you feel like it hits that 60 hertz bump is going to be what stops it from no i feel like that's that 60 hertz bump is is going to be i i feel like the mastering engineer whoever that is is going to add that in okay regardless maybe well i i i think if 
if if they give him the same reference tracks, he's well, then, okay. If right, you and, think he's going to do it, then just do it yourself. I should do it myself. All right. And then it's less work for him. I suppose. Okay, that makes sense. I've, I've been I've been racking my brain overnight because this was just last night that that I made this connection. But I've been racking my brain overnight, trying to decide: Do I do this, or should I trust the mastering engineer to do it? Well, I don't know. Or, or, I'm or pretty more, aggressive more with the whole like: This or, is the track I'm giving you. Just make me a louder version of it, or a slightly better sounding version of it. Because yeah. if you and, and, and play you know with what? it too much, then I get mad. I think if I if I didn't trust if I didn't trust my mastering engineer, if I didn't know who the mastering engineer was, I would probably do that. Yeah, because I don't know what result. Maybe my hesitation Even if you is trust the guy. Though, like you just do the boost to where you think is acceptable, and if it ends up being too much, he'll tell you. Yeah. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If you think it's something that's going to happen anyway, may as well just add it. Fair enough. And then that way you can treat it to the point where it's like, this is acceptable to me. And then if there's problems because of it later down the road, i.e. mastering engineer, they should be telling you like, hey, there's an issue here. Anyway, you can fix it. Right, that makes sense. At least that's what I want out of mastering engineer. The fact that they don't ever do that is what pisses <laughs> me off, and why Some guys I do. fire mastering engineers so many freaking times. That's why I don't have a go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Although I haven't hired any of the guys that I've wanted to hire. Yeah, because so there's a, there's a couple guys I'd like to try out. Like I, I would love to hire Jamie King to master for me. I think that would be cool. And he, he he apparently charges as much as I do. Fifty a song? Uh, yeah, about there. Really? That's uh, about four hundred dollars for a, a for record. record. That's insane, man. Yeah, considering he's like a big name in the. How do you how do we compete with that? I uh, yeah. There's been interviews where he said, um, I think it was only a handful of years ago. He's he thought he was going to be able to move into six digits for. Uh, his wage, but with uh, how things are in the music industry, he doesn't think he's ever going to hit six digits. He, 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 I guess he's just at the verge of hitting that. <laughs> All right. But decided it's not going to happen. Well, because he has to stay competitive. Right. And the fact that he doesn't just work with major label artists and stuff like that. He actually suppose, does right? work with independent artists and stuff like that like he tries to keep his rates affordable for them and the fact that he's also friends with like major label artists i think he tries to make it so that they're not going to be in debt with their labels just to oh, yeah yeah because that's get a, that extra couple dollars yeah yeah so anything anything you i can think do he's to, just uh, he's like tyson travnik if tyson was better with money maybe <laughs> I'm pretty sure he would agree with us. <laughs> nice. Nice. Cool. Although that's a little unfair to say about Tyson. Tyson's getting better. I he's not doing his festivals anymore. <laughs> is, is 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 he done with the festivals? Uh for at least two years. Okay. He's not doing any more festivals. He's still doing the uh Shredmanton though, right? 
Uh, I, I don't think so. I think oh, Sherminson's really? gone. Ah, damn, man. Because this year was supposed to be the last year he does festivals. No kidding. He's just doing prayer fire stuff now. So just event management and uh-huh. yeah. He's just pretty much a production company at this point. Fair enough. Or at least that's how I, I look at Prairie Fire. It's just a production company owned by a local guy. Well there's weren't there three of them that were involved in that? In what? Prairie Fire? Prairie Fire is its own thing. I know. That Tyson owns. And I know Mitch does some stuff for Prairie Fire, and I really just deal with the two. Oh, okay. There's other members of the organization, but I I personally have not worked with anyone outside of Mitch and uh, Tyson. So, Mitch is the younger guy, right? Yeah, he was uh, the intern or whatever you want right. to call him. And now Drummer. he does his own shows under Prairie Fire as well. Cool. So Sweet. I think he's like a second engineer or something like that at this point. Yeah. More and more bands or more and more musicians seem to be getting into the um, promoter side of things or the show organizer side of things. I just heard the uh, the Something Mechanical guys yeah. have decided to put on their own show um, or their own series of shows where they're booking the... Their it's what you should be doing, especially if you are booking hometown shows. It doesn't make sense to go to a production company unless, or like a promoter or something, unless you're not member of that town and can't organize everything and self-promote right right well but there's always <laughs> you have to remember that people are lazy well i know people are lazy to, and to that's how promoters make money locally it's great that they do <laughs> but having you know been doing the music thing for so long like if i was to start a band here in edmonton it only makes sense that i book or like shows, my yeah. band books their own shows or gets put on a bill by another band who's booking their own shows. Yeah. I know that's not going to happen all the time, but, but you make more money that way. Yeah. It's just, but of course nobody wants to do the self-promotion and all the, the work involved in that. But it is substantially more money you make Yeah, doing that than if you were to hire a promoter because the promoter is only going to give you like maybe 15% of the door. I suppose, yeah. Or at least that's typically the going rate. Whereas like you get 100% and split with two other bands, pay off whatever your rental fees are for the venue, you should still have money left over. Right. Unless you did, unless you're really bad at money management and promoting shows. Which I mean most bands I know are. bands <laughs> are terrible at doing that. But yeah. but I don't know. The, like sleeping in traffic, they put on their own shows. And I I've heard from Corey, he hasn't given me actual numbers, but he has implied that it, it is better for the band to do that. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that it makes sense to be in control. And most music right. venues don't charge all that much. At least the few that I I know of. Yeah. 
they, they, they charged like maybe 500 bucks or something like that for the night. I would hope that you're Lots good enough at promoting to at least get enough people to pay for 500 bucks. And like at 10, 15 bucks a pop, like that's not yeah. a whole lot of people that you need to break even. Right. If you can get 100 people to show up, you, you should have made a profit. Yeah. Ideally, right? Yeah. Because you definitely know the bar is going to make a make a profit. Yeah. yeah. Most of the venues I know of have their own bar, and like that's how they make more money off yeah. of the fact that they're renting you the space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. But, yeah, whatever. Back to the thing. Um, so I want to talk about, I want to go back to um, this whole mono thing um, and what this was exposing to me. Have you, do, do I, do you, have you ever checked a reference in mono, like a reference track in mono? I know you, like, I've, I don't, I don't know if I've ever done it with a reference track, but I have studied tracks by putting them in mono. Okay. And stuff, like. Anytime a song comes out that I'm like, holy crap, this mix is really good. I will listen to that mix to the point where I actually start to see where the mistakes are. And <laughs> yeah, so like, I don't know, every Between the Buried and Me record, I've listened to those records so many times that I'm walking and listening to them. Like, I've when I get close to a part where I have noticed a mistake, I always remember, oh, here's the mistake coming. Gotcha. Especially in this day and age where everything's perfect. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's but, do you, but you don't, you don't um, as a rule, you're not, you're not checking those things, checking that mix in mono. Um, I might put that into my DAW and check it in mono or see how it reacts to like certain things. Right. But not as a... Not as a matter of course, right? Like no. it's not your standard practice to to load it in and check in well, mono. I mean, I might play around with like pushing mono to see what drops out, but right. I mean, that that's going to happen no matter what if something's in stereo. I just I do it to see like did that person use a stereo manipulation widener type thing? Because right. if they did, there's a lot of things that's going to drop out. Right, especially if they're pretty heavy-handed, and I typically only do that when I notice a mix is like super wide. It's just like, wow, this is this ridiculously is wide. wide, and so then yeah. it's like, let's put it in mono to see if I can figure out how they they got it that wide. Right, and more often than not, it is a stereo manipulation that happens, but when nothing or it seems like almost nothing drops out that those are interesting in mono because then it's just like oh I have, I'm racking my brain to try and figure out how, how did they, they do it all in yeah 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 because it's like that's that that's actually impressive to me right it is well I mean anyone who's got the technical know-how of I think discerning that you know you push in mono on a super wide mix and nothing goes away like that's ridiculously difficult to do. <laughs> right. But isn't that, isn't the easier way of accomplishing that 
mixing in mono. And then when your mix sounds super amazing in mono, has all of those standout things, then you pull it out of mono back into stereo and pan things into place. Right? Like, isn't that a, isn't that, and I know, like, you hear a lot of guys like, like Graham Cochran and Joe Gilder and um, Warren Hewitt mentions it a lot uh, about mixing in mono. Yeah, or about I, I working mean, in mono. At least. If if that's what suits their workflow, I I just find working in mono is. I mean, I I do do it for certain projects, but usually those projects, the stereo field doesn't matter as much as hmm. like most of my musical stuff that I do. Gotcha. Most of my musical stuff, like mixing in mono and then stereo, like applying the panning for everything, it's just. Sure, it sounds great in mono, but the moment I listen to it in stereo, like it, it just sounds like weird panning things and stuff. Like I can hear the carving out. It doesn't have that feel of like I'm in a a space almost. I guess you could say. Well, and and, and see, that's the that's where I differ on that theory. Is when I like this track that I was doing last night, when I mix in mono, I get it sounding great in mono to the point where I'm no longer noticing that there is a lack of stereo image. Mm -hmm. And then I turn it into stereo. It suddenly sounds even that much better, right? Suddenly now all these things that I'd forgotten weren't there because the mix is sounding great in Mm -hmm. mono suddenly have this extra space and it suddenly seems bigger. It suddenly seems, you know, which is, I mean, that's the whole stereo idea, right? But yeah. And then I have complete compatibility in mono. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a fair way to work. It just doesn't work for me because I I think it's probably because of the way I work and it just, the moment I then go into doing stereo stuff, it's just, can't go back. I, I can. F- it just feels like there's a carved piece on the left. There's a carved piece on the right, and it doesn't feel right to me. Okay. So let's let's talk about carving. Um, how do you go about pocketing the vocal into your mix? Because that's the other big. That's the other big thing that this intense listening to these, all these reference tracks mm-hmm. is how, how much they sacrifice the tone of the band to get that vocal into place. How do you go about? I usually the band has a general one K dip with most of my songs, one to two K. Cause and, that's, and that's tends to be where the vocal? vocal tends to like to be is around that area. Okay. And so, you know, I, I even a guitar that has like a lot of one K, like I'm I'm dipping that down a bit, or maybe I side chain the EQ so that when the vocal comes up, it's dipping the guitar oh. down. That's that's a trick I've done a few times, and that, that seems to work really well. Um, but but in general, as the music tends to have a pocket in the 1K area for me. Okay. And I make the vocal, in the 
because vocals tend to want to sit in that area. Of course, if a vocal is different and says, say, it wants to hang out at 500 hertz, I'm going to recognize that. I'm going to focus the vocal on 500 hertz, and then I'm going to focus the band to have less 500 hertz so that the vocal stands out more. What do you feel that does to the to the tone of the band? Uh, let's assume let's assume you're not side chaining, right? Are you? Because um, in my the way I'd like to hear the band that is pocketing the vocal like that is a really big sacrifice, right? It can be, especially if you want to get like that full. I don't know, say guitar sound. You filled that up too much. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, no, I, I understand it. I, it's just at the same time, like, of the listeners listening, are they going to really hear that 2 dB cut that I have at 1K? Because... Well, and, and, and <clears throat> the, I guess the reason that I'm, the reason that I'm, I'm asking this is I've been finding that a 2B, 2 dB cut is rarely enough to pocket the vocal, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to these reference well, tracks and I'm, I'm, I'm cutting maybe the, the guitars by 2 dB, but the vocal probably has boosts. That's another 2 dB. So that, that's like 4, 4 d, dB difference. And that's, that's yeah. actually a, quite a bit when you think about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so like, I guess with so these, I'm doing a lot of small movements that to together add up to a pretty big difference. Right. So I guess the I think uh, that's how I get around it. The thing the, the thing that these again back to the this listening experiment last night the thing that was really stand out about it was that the band the band seemed to have a significant cut like, like I said everywhere from 400 hertz up to up to five or six k yeah that was and 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 it was it was a significant cut i've I've heard songs like that where it, it is significant amount cut out of the band so that the vocal could be heard more but like I mean that that's a choice where it's like clearly the vocal is the most important by a long shot of this song and so the whoever was mixing it decided that right. the band had to be cut out I mean it's I don't know I, I, I don't think of it too much I just think like does this have to be cut out I, I guess like even if it's something I like if it's interfering with what is important with the song like then it, just it doesn't need, matter if I like it I, I have to get rid of it because it it's interfering Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. that's my mindset on, okay. on carving. So, um, of course, I'll, I'll I'll do my best to keep the parts that I like, which is which is why you do things like side chaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Side chaining is great for that because you you can have the things that you like when the thing that's important it needs that cut. Um, you know, you can have those in between, right? Or I don't know, maybe if there's an instrumental break and majority of the song singing, maybe I'll just automate an EQ movement so that during the instrumental break it comes back. And then during vocals, I'll... It's gone. It's gone, yeah. 
So yeah, there's, I have lots of tricks to to keep the balance. Like yeah, I don't know. It seems to me like a lot of mixers are kind of lazy. They just get a thing that works all the way through. And very few people tend to do automation or like weird things that make the, the mix change throughout the song. Whereas I enjoy that part of it. I, I could get you a general mix pretty easy. Right. That's, that's not difficult to me. The fun yeah. part is when I, I do the tricks of like automation and making things change throughout the song. Right. That, that's the fun things. So. I don't know. It also helps me make those sacrifices of like, I need to do a 6 dB cut at whatever hertz for this instrument, despite the fact that that area sounds great. Whatever. Too Later bad. on in the song, it's going to come back. So, right. Yeah. Oh. I also have like, usually when I'm mixing a project, I have like notepad and I'm making notes of things I've heard and. You know, like, oh, during the bridge, I really like this Zach, this instrumental part. Or, like, I don't know, maybe there's uh, chimes or something, and I, I want to do something with that. I'll yeah. write down chimes, make focus or secondary focus. Or, Fair I can't always just get to it. So I, 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 I keep, keep notes so that I, when I go... When I do like, I don't know, probably like my 50th pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can look at my notes and like be at the bridge and be like, oh yeah. Need to take care of that. Need to take care of that. Let's, yeah. what do I want to do here with that? Oh, maybe I want to do my weird panning trick that I do every now and again. Right. Which, I mean, it's not really my panning trick, but it's a thing I do where I a ping pong, uh, uh, an instrument. Yeah, that's fun. Usually to whatever note intervals it's playing. So if it does like an odd rhythm thing, I will actually have the panning do an odd thing. Have it go extreme back and forth. Yeah. yeah. It can be fun. I actually had a vocal thing. Yeah, there was a song I mixed for a friend just for fun. And it... it he, he, I think he stole the idea from me, but I, <laughs> he had like a, a section in the song that sound like a call and response mm -hmm. type of thing, but there was like three different voices. Oh yeah, and so like I had like the main voice in the center, undistorted, just doing its thing, and then I had the two kind of responses because they went at different times and stuff from each other. Yeah, I th and they I distorted both of them but I distorted them differently from from each other Okay, and I EQ'd them differently obviously they were panned from left and right also and so it, it was kind of cool having like the main vocal do its thing and then having the responses it kind of sounded like an argument was going on Nice, even though it was the same singer and now all I was doing was just manipulating the tone of his voice and right I, I was commented that like holy crap that sounds awesome and I think he stole that or he took that idea and <laughs> did his own thing with it but like the main idea was there I believe sweet if I remember correctly I don't know that's a great way to learn new tricks is to steal from other people yeah and I mean when it's the same song you're working on and your buddy just <laughs> kind of yeah shows you this idea and you're just like oh that is cool <laughs> nice 
Even if he didn't steal it from me, I, I know he commented on it, and he probably has that trick in his bag of tricks now. Right. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I do the same thing where, you know, I hear a cool thing and I see an interview about how it was made by the person who did it. Yeah. I, I put that in my bag of tricks to try out in the future when I think appropriate. That's fair. But I do like banning things weirdly. <laughs> you mean like panning automation that's weird yep. or just like general panning? Like No, just panning automation. Like on the left. Where I go back and forth with something. Like maybe have oh, two eight notes on the right hat, right side and then it pans really quickly to the left for like a single hit and you know gotcha. generally making like like even if it was a straight I don't know like an egg shaker doing a straight eighth notes all the way through but having like alternation of it, like almost making like an interesting polyrhythmic or syncopated mm-hmm. rhythm out of those eighths by panning them right on sections weirdly or even like distorting one side differently while I'm doing that yeah. I like doing things like that. And then I usually bury them in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> so that they're not like the main focus. But, yeah, they're, they're just. But if you nibble. are listening, you, you're like, oh, you're that is. For later. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever do, um, do you ever do like whole section automation? Um, specifically like, uh, like for a verse, lowering the guitars by a, DB and, yeah. and and for the for the chorus raising the the overheads by DB yep. and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. What what kind of effect are you trying to go for? What kind of result are you trying to go for what with that the, kind of thing? When I'm doing that kind of thing, I'm just generally trying to build up or bring down energy to try to make the song uh, flow. Okay. Um. I don't know. I, I I don't know how to explain it, but I I mean I have wide dynamic range yeah, typically you're, you're pretty... my quiet parts are really quiet my loud parts can be really loud if you have a song that requ- I feel requires right. super quiet and super loud yeah and then I go anywhere in between which I mean that's I think there's about 12 dB range that I have for dynamics okay. which is ridiculous can be <laughs> it can be especially if you have something sitting at like negative 20 LUFs and then it just all of a sudden hits negative 10 usually it doesn't do that it usually builds up to that but right I, I do that because I feel like it adds energy to the song so how do you um, what kind of things are you doing to create those dynamics uh like are you, are, volume automation is definitely a big part. But what like are you are you like automating the the whole band to be quieter? Or are you automating? No, I'm di- I'm usually automating different sections. Sometimes even individual instruments. Okay, but I mean like like a like a drum track. Let's let's a drum track starts the song, plays all the way through, ends the song. Yeah. That essentially should dictate your loudness for a 
big chunk of the for big chunk of the the song. Sure. So are you automating that drum track to be quieter in certain section and louder in another section and then like really quiet? Sometimes. Okay. Uh, typically for quieter sections though the, the drummer is typically playing quieter. Okay. And so if it was like compressed to the point where everything sounds the same volume, I'm gonna you're gonna correct that so right. that okay. the drums are a bit quieter. I, I usually don't do more for drums itself, like more than six dB. But that, you will do that. That would much. be like a super quiet section. Right. Where I have like maybe a couple guitars and it's like supposed to feel really intimate kind of thing. It's just super quiet. Gotcha. But then say if it goes in a really loud, obnoxious in your face section, like those have to be loud. So I I actually try to have that in my mixes. Okay. Gotcha. And I mean I, I'm I'm aware that I'm probably more dynamic than most when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, well like, like which is why 60. I love the comments when I get mixes and people are like, can I get more dynamics? Just how much fucking more do you want? <laughs> I mean, I, I know like it's usually them comment. I've even had that request when what they wanted was less dynamics. Yeah. They wanted everything to be closer to a consistent loudness, but they confused the term. Well, and, and, and I, I had that, I had that um, request on Friday. Um, recorded a band live in a space um, not the studio, and they they didn't bring they didn't bring monitors. It was just one, two, three, four, five. It was six of them jamming in the room: drummer, yep. bass, piano, saxophone, guitar, and vocals. Yep. Um, and they didn't have they didn't have any dynamics other than you know the drummer would stop playing the kick drum in the verses. Jazz drummer. Yeah. Um, and and their 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 big comment back was, can we get more dynamics? And really, the only thing that I could do was was volume automation on some of the instruments that yeah just turn turn instruments down in the verses. Well, right, and that's and, and, how I accomplish most of my dynamics. Okay, generally it is just like one or two tracks at a time changing in volume and it just creates the mood that I'm looking for like sometimes I don't even have to uh, do a volume automation because the band itself is already playing in a way that it just feels right at the volume that they were at before sure so sometimes I don't yeah I don't know somebody listening to me and hearing like 6 dB like it, it sounds That's extreme right? on the extreme end of <laughs> yeah. what I do. More often than not, it's probably like a three dB change at most. Well, and I'm and I'm I'm so used to coming from a coming from a world where it would be oh, crazy. It would be the arrangement dynamics that would dictate the dynamic changes. I'm still yeah. listening to the arrangement. I'm just trying to no, cater to yeah. it. Well, that um, that whole thing lasted longer than I thought. I guess we gotta go. So we'll see you next time. Follow our hosts on Twitter at.
at Two Bodies of Water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.